What's up? What's going on, guys? Man, it's good to be in the house today. What's going on, Tampa campus? Are y'all feeling good? Yeah? Everyone watching online, can y'all make some noise for our family down in South Shore with Pastor Hector? What's up, guys? And of course, the thriving greatness that is the Plant City campus. Y'all make some noise for our family down there. We love you, miss you. My, my beautiful wife is there loving on everybody, and so we're, uh, we're so excited to be a part of what God is doing at the Crossing Church. It is a great time to be a part of the Crossing Church. We are excited. God is on the move, and, and so I'm just pumped to be with you today. I, 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 I'm often confused by the fact that they allow me to speak. <laughs> I, I always feel like I'm going to say something. And surely that will get me banned, but they don't listen to the recording, and so I'm here again. So I'm excited. I'm glad. We're, we're in this season, or in this series called uh, um, Busy Signal, and uh, we started off with Pastor Mumba, yeah, from Zambia. Y'all remember Pastor Mumba? He's, uh, that's, that's where I'm from, Zambia, and so I'm... Especially, it's a small village outside of Plant City, Zambia. It's a beautiful place. And, um, but he said he taught us how to release faith in a new season. And I don't know if any of you have ever faced the new season, but it does require faith. And, uh, and this, the second week, we, we had Pastor Richard Tucson. My man, Richard Tucson, he's awesome. And uh, yes. Love Pastor Richard. He told us that uh, we have to make choices out of conviction and not out of convenience. And, and, and that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. And then last week we had Pastor Stephen Robles. <coughs> My man, Pastor Stephen, killed it. He's awesome. He's, uh, he taught us that we can trust the goodness of God even in dark times. And, uh, and so I want to I wanna wrap up the series today. And, and, and hopefully uh, express what God has, has laid on our hearts here. And so uh, I, know, I know this, there, there's, a, there's a, an epidemic, a plague that has cursed our world for generations. And, and our society has particularly targeted this, this disease. And it, it's not cancer. <clears throat> I mean, why would we put energy and stuff into that? It's, it, it wasn't uh, world hunger. No, no, we... We have attacked with all of our energy and resource the scourge of waiting. We want to eliminate waiting more than anything in the world, right? I mean, we've spent the last couple hundred years just eliminating waiting. We're tired of waiting. We don't want to wait for anything. And, and in fact, when it comes to like communication, for example, we've gotten rid of waiting in communication. Do you remember a day? Is there anyone other than me here old enough to remember driving around looking for one of these? You remember that? <laughs> you remember? I don't, there's people in here right now so young, they, they're asking the question, why is there a phone in a box? What, why would they do that? It doesn't even make sense. So we would have to drive around we would get remember when you got a page on your 
on your beeper, you would have to, it was 911, so that means you had to go find a phone right away. You had no delay. I, my, my parents thought I was a drug dealer. Remember that? 16, what you need a pager for? Ain't nobody need to talk to you. You got nothing to offer. What kind of information do you have that is so urgent? And then, and then with food, we, we got tired of waiting on ovens to cook stuff. <clears throat> Takes too long, so we created a microwave. Some of y'all mama had that haircut, no lie. <laughs> and we created a microwave, but it wasn't fast enough, so we said we need fast food. I, I want to put it in the name fast food. So we created fast food and drive throughs which was good because it's real healthy. And then, and then we said, that ain't fast enough, though. I need an instantly. I want an Instapot. <laughs> Give it to me right now. I, I want my chicken cooked in 3.4 seconds. Got time to wait on that. Give me something instantly. And, and, uh, and, and I love it because, you know, it wasn't just that, but we, we attacked shopping because we didn't have time to be waiting on stuff at the store. We, we created Amazon. But Amazon is too slow, a week. I ain't got time for that. I got stuff to do. So we said, I want, I want it prime. I want it, I want it now. Like, I want to prime that thing. I'll give, you, I'll give you two days. That's it. If it's not in my house in two days, I don't want it. But two days was too slow. So they, we said, we demand prime same day. I want a same day delivery. Right? And so we said, but 24 hours is taking too long. So we said, we want it now. Give me prime now. I want it, I want that in two hours, right? But two hours is a long time. I could do a lot in two hours. So I, I said, I ain't got time for waiting on that. I love what they've done now. They've created uh, prime before. That's the new thing. If you haven't seen prime before, it's amazing. You, you, you basically, the way it works, you order it today. And they put it in a time machine and they ship it to you yesterday. <laughs> it's, it's the most amazing technology. It's incredible. And so I, I encourage you to take advantage. If I Googling Prime Before right now, just, what? What is this Prime Before? I haven't, well, I haven't heard of this yet. And of course, uh, we, we've really attacked waiting, but uh, we, we cracked down on it, but, but we haven't, I haven't eliminated waiting completely from my life. I mean, I am married, so. Well, I, I was, at least, uh, before that one. No, I love it. We, we play this little game in our house. I encourage you to play it. It's a blast. You have a good time. It's cute. The way it works is I get dressed completely because it's time to go. And then my wife, regardless of her current state of dress, will yell out, almost ready. At that point, I know I can go watch a full episode of Naked and Afraid because she's probably so naked and I'm afraid we ain't gonna make it on time. Just a sort of a reminder 
And then, uh, and while I'm watching that, she'll sneak out the front door, and as she does, she yells, waiting on you. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. I just, it's the cutest thing ever. I always lose that game. I don't know. <laughs> of course, at Disney, we, we pay to wait there. It's a glorious experience. If you haven't been to a theme park lately, best ride at Disney is the ride home, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's not fun. But, but, but one area that you will never eliminate waiting from is waiting on the Lord. That's a requirement. In fact, in order for you to have an authentic, deep-seated, powerful relationship with the Lord, South Shore, Plant City, Tampa, you're going to have to wait. There's going to come a point where you wait on the Lord. And, and, and it happened all through Scripture. You're not the only one. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They had the promise of this this beautiful child they were going to have. I'll be honest, if you promised me a child right now, I'd want to send it back. I'd be like, can I get another, can I get another promise? Is there something else in that bag? I, I, I'm trying to retire, Jesus. I ain't trying to. But he would, he had a promise of a child. I guess they wanted one. And so, but they got impatient, Right? And, and because of their impatience, uh, it created an Ishmael. And to this day, Israel is fighting Ishmael. You know, because waiting is inevitable. It's inevitable. But how you wait is a choice. Joseph had a dream. God had given him a vision. This amazing vision that God had placed in him. And he was sent to a pit, and then he had to wait in prison. But he waited longingly for this vision to come to pass. And because of that, he was restored. All of his relationships were restored. He was, his resources were increased. The nations were saved. Waiting is inevitable, but how you wait is your choice. The Israelites, they had the promised land, remember, coming out of slavery. And, and, and so as they went along, they, they began to complain. As they were waiting on this promised land to manifest. Because of their complaining, it was extended 40 years. And many of them died, well, all of them died actually before they could even experience it. You know, the disciples were told to go wait in the upper room after the crucifixion. And they waited, and they waited with anticipation, and their faithfulness was rewarded with power from the Holy Spirit to turn the world upside down. How you wait is a choice. And I want to leave this with you. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to, to hear this, and it's simply this. Don't waste your waiting. Don't waste your waiting. There's a season of waiting that we all go through when you're waiting on the Lord, but how you wait is your choice. Don't waste your waiting.
I want to tell you a story. It's a, it's a powerful story. It's one of my favorite ones from Scripture. Actually, you can read it in, in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And I'm not going to read all those because I'm just going to assume that most of you can read. And that you will read it. So I want you to go back and when you get a chance, I want you to read this scripture because it's powerful. It's a powerful story. But I'm going to pull out a couple points. I'm going to kind of tell you what happened. There was a prophet named Elijah and a prophet named Elijah entered the scene. And what we find Israel in is a state of chaos. Because the king of Israel at this time is King Ahab and he is the the worst king that's ever existed in the history of Israel. He, the Bible says he's the most evil of any of the kings. He did more evil than anyone else. And, and in fact, he almost completely eradicated the faith of God, the, the people of God, and, and the practices of God, and the, and the exercise of worship of God. He almost completely eradicated and replaced it with his wife's Religion, which she was Jezebel. Y'all know the story of Jezebel. And, and, and Jezebel wanted everyone worshiping Baal. And Baal was the god of, of the sky and the god of rain. Right? He was the god of the harvest. And so everyone was, she had set up all these worship sites for Baal. And she had all of these prophets of Baal, these false prophets that were declaring the greatness of Baal. And so as they're, they're going along, he, he, he walks into this scene, and in Deuteronomy it tells us, God says, listen, if you worship other gods, if you place anything before me, I will send a drought on you. Everything around you will begin to dry up. And so Elijah took that word, and he declared it to Ahab. He said, there's a drought in the land. And three years later, we walk into this moment, and it's time for Elijah to have the big duel. You remember back in high school, you say to somebody, hey, meet me out behind the gym, right, after school. We're going we gonna to do this, right? Well, that's the kind of moment that he has. He's, he goes to Ahab, and, and, and God says, I want you to present yourself to Ahab, and, and he does, and he, and he goes, and he, and he says, hey, look, Ahab, I want you to get all your boys together. Grab all them fake prophets of Baal. And I want you to get those guys, and I, I want you to get all the people of God, and I want you to meet me on the top of Mount Carmel, or Caramel. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's, depends on where you're from, I guess. I don't know. Although I would love to worship on Mount Carmel. I ain't going to lie. Caramel. But Mount Carmel, <laughs> Mount Carmel was was uh, uh, not just randomly chosen because the people of the area thought that was Baal's mountain. And so he said, I tell you what, we're going to go meet at Baal's house and, and we're going to do this thing. We're going we're gonna to figure out who is the real God. And as he's going along, he, he tells them, he says, gather them all together. And I like verse 21. It's, it's an amazing scripture right out of the middle of it because I think it's so relevant for today. And then... In verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. And I think that's a question that's relevant for us today. There's the question is, who is your God? 
when are you going to make up your decision? When are you going to make your mind up to say who is or what is your God? Is your job your God? Is your resource your God? Maybe your spouse, maybe your marriage. Some of you have made your kids your God. That, that's the worst God ever. It's a terrible decision. And he presents the question, are you, when are you going to make up your mind and stop wavering? If God is God, then worship him. And if, if Baal is God, then worship him. Because it comes a point when you realize and you determine, I am following the Lord, the God Almighty, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the foundation of the earth and, and, and the former. He breathed and, and the stars were. He is the the author and the creator, the finisher of my faith, when I determined that that is my God, then where else would I go? When he wants me to wait, I wait. When he wants me to move, I move. When he says go, I go. When he says sit, I sit because he is my source. He's my refuge. I'm not swayed because my job gave me a a demotion. I'm not swayed because they're promising a promotion. I'm not swayed because you have some kind of, uh, uh, you're mad at me. I'm not swayed because you don't like something. I'm not swayed by any of that stuff because that's not my source. Once I've determined where I turn to, suddenly waiting on the Lord doesn't seem so hard. And it's it's an interesting question because it's, it's, he probably looked, I imagine Elijah looked at the people the same way I looked at this truck. When I saw this truck, I was so confused. It's a big old Dodge truck jacked up, and it says, I identify as a Prius. That, that's not even. You, you have got so much potential in you. God has created you for something big. You've got power and strength. There's obstacles you were designed to roll over. There are things that, that, that most people would be tripped up over, but because you were designed to thrive in the midst of obstacles, you were created for greatness, but you're identifying yourself as something less. And he said, hey, people, when are you going to determine that you are bigger and that your God is bigger than this mess you're identifying yourself with. When are you going to realize that your sickness doesn't define you? That your God is bigger than that? When are you going to realize that divorce doesn't define you? I don't care what your generations did before you. I don't care what your parents did and your grandparents did. It doesn't have to define you because the God in you is bigger than the God of this world. There's something that happens to generations when we stop telling them about how God, how big the God is in them. And we focus so much on how big the problem is in front of them. We lose generations that way. Because they stop identifying with the God that's in them. And they start identifying by the weakness around them. Don't waste your waiting. In verse 27, we get to this place um, as we go down, and, and, and it's pretty cool because it says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. 
And, and he be, so, so what happened to get to this place, there was, uh, he said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to grab some cows and I want you to bring them bulls in here. And what we're going to do is have us a little, a little barbecue together. We're going to see who has the better cook off, right? And so he gets the bulls and he brings them in. He says, all right, y'all pick one. And then I want you to make a, uh, an altar and I want you to lay the wood down and, and I don't want you to light it. Okay. And then I'm going to do the same thing. And then whoever's God answers with fire. And consumes it. Whoever's God lights the fire, that is God. And so as they gather around, the prophets of Baal start to do their dance, you know, and they're just acting a fool. They're up there twerking, just going crazy. You know, that is the dance of Baal. The, the twerk. And so they're, they're getting after it. And, uh, and, and I'll, <laughs> I'm always just thinking about these people twerking up here on this. <laughs> Y'all don't got me messed up. Stop. All right. So at, at noon, he says, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. And surely he is a God. I, I love it because me and Elijah have the same spiritual gift of sarcasm. And so he starts kind of taunting these people. He's, he's giving it to them. They're, they've been dancing and shouting and working all morning, just all day. And they get to the point, and he says, he says, <laughs> shout louder. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Or maybe he's busy. Now, I want you to understand what he, what the actual words he's busy mean. It's hard for us to translate it into English, but what he's saying is maybe he's in the bathroom. That's what he actually said. Maybe he ate a bad burrito. He can't, he can't hear you right now. So he says, hey, maybe he's thinking, maybe he's in, <laughs> in the bathroom, or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's asleep and he needs to wake up. And he's just taunting them. He's giving it to them. Well, finally, they, they, they get even crazier, and they start cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place, and, and that's gross. And then he says, okay, and that's enough. And so in verse... 36, it lands like this. He says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. I didn't even tell you the good part. He got out and, and he said, you know, when it comes time for mine, he said, I'm going tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to set the bull up. I'm going to set my stones up. I'm going to build my altar. And then he dug a ditch around it. And then he said, I want you all to go grab some water because we know water is so flammable. And I want you to pour water all over this thing. And they poured water all over it. He said, not enough. Go back and do it again. And they got another big, large tub of water, and they poured it on it. And they said, that's not enough. Do it again. And they went back and did it again. And the trench was filled with water. The, the bull and all the wood was dripping wet with water. It was soaked. And, and when he prayed, God sent fire from heaven, and it soaked up not only the water and the wood and the stones and the soil and the altar, the sacrifice. It took it all up with it. And, 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 and what an incredible moment that must have been for Elijah. What a victory. 
He then took all of those fake prophets, took them down the mountain into the valley, killed every one of them. He wiped them out. No more Baal stuff. Such a huge victory. And it's easy for us to preach these big victory moments. But I want to take you back to the chapter before. Because at the beginning of chapter 18, he says, I want you to go and present yourself. But at the beginning of chapter 17, he tells him, I want you to go, Elijah, and hide yourself. Because before you can have these big moments with God, before God can use you to transform generations, before God uses you, Plant City, to change the world there, before God uses South Shore to revolutionize a county, before God does any of that, he needs you to hide yourself away somewhere in his presence. And so he tells him, hide yourself away. He says, I want you to go to the cherith. Now, the, the cherith uh, is, a, is a special place. It's called the cutting away. But here's the deal. There's a season to hide ourselves away with God and a season to present ourselves to the world. And some people are hiding still when God has called you to present yourself. And some of you are trying to present yourself and you never hid away with him. And they are connected forever together. In the place of, of, of Cherith, it, it means cutting away and, and, and hi, hiding away. This place is a hiding away with God usually involves him cutting some things out of our life, which is why we don't necessarily like to sit around in the cutting place. Because God will speak to you and begin to remove things from your life, remove relationships from your life, and remove ideas from your life, and remove mentalities from your life that you're just comfortable with. Because you can never be set free from anything that you think is normal. And so what God does is he puts you into an environment where he can call out the broken places inside of you. And the cherith, this, this, this waiting area, it's, it's not only to get you out of the world, but it's, to get, it's so that he can get the world out of you. Fasting is a time of cherith. It's a waiting time. Listen, this, in this 21-day fast, you can either finish it hungry and unchanged or, or you can finish it hungry and changed forever by a daily encounter with his presence. The choice is yours. Waiting is inevitable. But how you wait is yours. Don't waste your waiting. And, and, and there's, there's a couple things that I love about the story. It kind of wraps up for me in verse 36. What I read right before he called down fire from heaven. Because these are, are, are four things that I think everyone finds in the time of waiting. When, whenever he first came on the scene, when he hid himself away from the, that time until the time whenever uh, um, uh, he, he brought down fire, called down fire from heaven was three and a half years. Three and a half years of hiding. He was hiding away by a brook. And the Lord was sending ravens with like breakfast sandwiches and stuff. They were dropping off sausage McMuffins with egg. Probably shouldn't be talking about that during a fast. Everybody like. 
and, and then, and then, and then the, the brook dried up, and, and then he had to go find a widow who didn't have anything herself. And, and so he, he had this season of, of drought that he experienced too. It was, it was a, a waiting season. But he gathered some, some truth in that time. And when, he, when it came time for the battle, those revelations that he picked up in that season, that's what changed everything. I want to I show you these. In verse 36, chapter 18, he says it like this. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. You see, the first real revelation that you get in your waiting season is who God is. It's who God is. Who is God? When you can walk out of a waiting season, you can either sit there and complain and be mad and be depressed, or you can look in the face of God and, and learn and realize that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's in control. He's never left you nor forsaken you. He is above all, never beneath. He is the king and the master. He is sovereign in every way. There's something that happens in time spent with God that you walk out of a moment realizing how magnificent and powerful he is. How sovereign and in control he truly is. How he created and spun the world with just a breath. And your situation and your crisis is nothing more than a breath to him. It's a simple word. It's amazing for you and it's impossible for you to accomplish, but he accomplishes it just by blinking. Magnificence of who God is. There's something powerful whenever you stop carrying around the weight and the weakness of the environment around you and start speaking to it from the perspective of God. You can walk into your home and you can declare things over your home because of the authority that God has. You get to walk into broken mentalities and relationships and you get to declare the presence and power of God. You can't do that if your job is your God. You can't do that if money is your God. You can't do that if, if, if uh, your, your relationships around you are the most important thing in the world to you. There's something powerful about understanding God's role in your life. God, you are God and you are God alone. You are God right here in my home. You are God over my children. I don't care how jacked up they are. You are God. You are God in their school and you are God on my job. You are God when I woke up this morning. You'll be God when I lay my head down. There was nothing that is too great for you. And then God begins to give him another revelation from his time spent with him. And he walks away and he looks at his situation. He looks at the fight in front of him and he says, not only are you God and God in Israel, but you, but I am your servant. And he starts to learn a revelation about who he is. When you attach yourself to the mentality and the brokenness around you, you lose a grip on who you are. When you get more concerned about the, the broken situation you're in than the greatness of his name, you lose perspective on who you are. You start identifying yourself with your brokenness instead of identifying yourself with his greatness. 
I'm not able to walk into an environment and set fire to this altar because of me. I'm able to do it because I am connected to him. And I have greatness in me because he placed greatness in me. I have authority in me because he put the authority in me. I'd learn something about myself when I walk into times of waiting with him. Things that you can never get from victories. There are things you can only get from times of waiting on his promise. There's a tenacity in you that is developed when you wait on his promise. And then he, he says this, uh, you're God here and I'm your servant. And, and he says, and, and I've done all these things at your command because that is purpose. You walk out of it with a revelation of God's purpose. There's something special when you understand God's purpose, his power in your life. The fact that he has is, he is ordained and orchestrated you for a reason. That you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. But that you are the apple of his eye. You are called for greatness. You are called to make a difference. Listen, South Shore, you aren't down there because there's boats in the area and he loves fishing. Plant City, you're greater than strawberries and strawberry festivals. There's more to you than that. There's more to you, Tampa, than pirates and invasion. And, 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 and entertainment and good restaurants. And, and there's more to you than that. There is more to your purpose than walking blindly through this world. You are called to turn the world upside down, the scripture says. You have been created for his purpose, for his glory and his greatness. There are relationships in your life that only you can reach. There are people in your world that only you have been called to introduce the gospel and the greatness of his love to. There are people that will not ever be changed unless you change them. There are, not, there are people that will never experience healing unless you introduce the healing power of Christ. There are people that will, their marriages are destined to fail unless you can tell them that there's hope for tomorrow. God has called you, crossing church, God has called you for greatness. But these are the moments and these are the things that you discover when you're in intimate connection in the down times with Christ. It's during these seasons of waiting. And so many of us get into a season of waiting and we squander it because we're frustrated and we're tired and we get exhausted and we get discouraged and we start getting depressed. And God is saying, no, no, you're looking at the wrong thing. Turn to me and I'll show you your purpose. I'll show you who I am. I'll show you who you are. And then you can walk in the fullness that I've created you for. The world will never be the same when a church does that. Because there's a fourth revelation that you gather in that, and that is his love. Because he says in verse 38, then, uh, verse 37, answer me, O Lord, that these people may know that you are God and that you're turning their hearts back to them. You're turning their hearts back again. God's love is unbelievable and when you enter his courts when you enter into those intimate times you walk away with an understanding that his desire is that the hearts of man would turn back to him he has called you for a reason and the reason is to turn the hearts of man back to him the people at your job you're not there on accident. You, some of you have got to stop complaining about your bad job. 
you chose it anyway. <laughs> Nobody made you. So if you're going to be there, if you're going to be there anyway, you might as well be there for him. Right? If you're going to be there, you might as well be there for his presence. You might as well be there on purpose. Some of you got to stop complaining about your marriages. You chose them. I didn't choose them for you. You, you picked that one. But if you're going to be married, you might as well do it on purpose. You might as well push each other to become the greatest that God has ever created you to be. You, you might as well start pulling on the anointings in each other and start pressing in together. You might as well join your hands in faith and say, God is able to do a miracle in my child's life. He's able to do a miracle in my neighborhood. He's able to change the world. He's able to change Tampa and, and South Shore. He's able to change Plant City with his power if I will just join my faith with yours. There's revelation that comes out of that. But here's the thing about waiting. Waiting is not a passive sport. Waiting is an active thing. We think about waiting like waiting in a waiting room. It's miserable. And you can choose to wait that way. That's what you want. But that is not what God has called you to do. God said in Isaiah, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar like an eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You see, whenever that word waiting, it means to tie yourself to something, to, to, to bind yourself to his presence. When we wait, we're not sitting around going, well, let's just see if he ever does anything. No, it looks something like this. I'm ready because at any minute, this thing's going to move. And when it moves, I'm going to be ready to go with him. It looks like that. It looks like I can't wait for him to say hike because the moment he says hike, I'm going to run this joker over right in front of me right now. It looks like that. It looks like anticipation. It looks like expectation. It looks like I'm sitting in his throne room going, I can't wait for them doors to open because when it does, I know that his favor and blessing is coming. And I'm going to call down fire and I'm going to show these jokers who God is really God. And I'm going to, that's what it looks like. And he says, you'll soar on wings like eagles. That means you enter into heavenly places. What happens is when you get into his presence and you take these waiting seasons to just pour into him, he takes you into the heavenly places. And what he does in the heavenly places is empower you and anoint you to be able to run, to run the race that he has set before you. And what happens when someone runs the race set before them long enough, they get comfortable in his presence and they start walking. And it says, you will be able to walk with me and you won't wear out. There's something about Someone who, who just walks with God. It's a confidence. There's a little bit of a swagger because you know that I'm connected with him and he's connected with me. And we can walk through this thing. And, and so stuff that used to trip you up doesn't trip you up anymore. Situations that used to blow your mind don't blow your mind anymore. People come at you and they, they say, "You why aren't you losing your mind over this? He said, because it's just a thing. His presence has already answered it. I'm just waiting on it. He's already given a word over it. I'm just waiting on it. 
and I'll praise him and I'll ask him and I'll call him God until the moment he moves and then I'll get back in stance again ready for the next. It's a powerful understanding that waiting is your choice. So do not waste your waiting. I want to ask everyone in here online, South Shore Plain City, are you waiting on something? Have you been waiting? Do you feel like you're in that season? Raise your hand if you're in a season of like in between. You're like in that, like God, I need you to do something right now. I need you to move. Like I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm, and 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 you're you're ready, right? You're 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 like, hey, let's do this, Jesus. Right? I got a situation that needs your hand to move. I need you to speak, God. Come on, lift your hand if that's you. All across, every everywhere, all all our campuses. Come on, I'm going to pray over you. Father, we thank you for your power and your presence. We thank you because you're sovereign and in control. We thank you because no weapon formed against us will prosper. But when we walk in your ways, we are called to rise above. We are called to be above and not beneath. We are the head and not the tail. You have called us to, to exercise the faith and the authority that's in us. And God, we speak to our situation and we command it to be made whole. We speak to this illness and we command it. So there's someone getting healed right now in this sitting, right now in this situation, Plans city, it might be you. Someone just raise your hand. You say, I need God's move right now in my body. And so God, I just declare right now a release of your anointing, your healing power to flow right here in this atmosphere. Your glory, your honor, your name is what we seek and we came for nothing else. We will leave with nothing else but your presence and power and God, we won't move until you move. God, you speak and we'll be careful to give you the glory for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can you give him a praise? Come on, all the campuses. Come on, shout his name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want us to pray this together. There's a moment of salvation that happens, and we do this at every campus. We do this at every service because we believe in the power of God's calling on this city to salvation. God has called us to tell the world, hey, he came that your hearts will be turned back to him. And there's someone in this audience right now, there's someone online watching, and you have that call on your heart right now to turn your life back to him. And you're ready. I want us all to pray this together so no one feels uncomfortable. Let's do it. Say, Father, we know that we can't do it on our own. You're our source. You're our hope. We need you. And so, Father, we accept the gift that you gave when you sent your son to die for us. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. And we say, Lord, you are king in my life. You are Lord of all of me. You can have my, my, my home. You can have my family. You can have my life. If it's in me, it's yours. And I thank you for your gift. Thank you for saving me and bringing me into your family. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, with every head bowed, every head closed, not to embarrass anybody, I want you just to wave your hands at me on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, just lift your hands. God bless you all across the room. I see you. Come on, hold your hand up. We got somebody just going to bring you a card. With every head bowed, listen, hold your hand up. They're just going to bring you a little card, just a, just a way for, for you to take a next step with him. Yes, Lord. 
Come on, can we give God a big praise in here for this? Salvation moving. Jump up on your feet. Come on, everybody, stand to your feet right now. This is a moment as our prayer partners are here. This is the kind of moment where you've been waiting on something. You raised your hand. I want you to come to this altar and lay it at his feet. I want you to do like Elijah and lay it at the altar. And I want you to say, God, you are the God. You are the only one. So we call down fire on this situation. We call down your presence. We call down your glory. And in fact, one of our prayer partners is here. They'd love to put their faith with yours and, and, and connect and say, yes, God is able to do it. Yes, he is on the move. Come on. As we begin to sing, just consider these altars open and let's lay it at his feet. Let's worship. He's great.